but I use different words to meet the audience because it connects with their level of experience and imagination. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Well, Andrew, last week we dived in with a cannonball. (laughs) One of your topics that you very much enjoy talking about, and that would be the cannons of rhetoric, not to be confused with cannon, big gun, that shoots a cannonball into a pool. And we did a kind of, you kind of helped me understand the five of them, how they all work together as a whole. And then we barely got started on breaking them down a little bit talking about invention, and you were just about to start about how you take all these ideas that you've now collected in the invention stage and started to arrange them, and we ran out of time. So can we pick up right there? Tell us about Sure. Well, you know, there's uh, kind of classical terminology. A lot of it has been kind of rephrased for for simpler presentation to Mm -hmm. modern students (laughs) starting maybe 100 years ago. Mm. But um, you have information you have collected. That information may have come from your experience or your imagination or your memory. And, and you may also have collected up information through external sources. You've done research, uh, what other people said, what other people thought, or actual scientific type of research. and So that research is still part of the invention process. And so you have all that information. Then you say, okay, you know, number one, what are my goals? Right. Right. And number two, what's the best way to present this, the sequence, in order to accomplish those goals? Do you think it's possible that your goals for presenting this could change as a result of what you have discovered in the invention phase? Well, I think so. You know, I mentioned last week the first rule of rhetoric is know your audience. Mm -hmm. So if you are speaking to people Mm -hmm. who are, say, basically like-minded about whatever you're speaking about. Garlic, in this case, yes. (laughs) You are not necessarily trying to change their opinion about Mm -hmm. anything. So Mm -hmm. if if we look, there's kind of two areas. One would be to exposit. We call it expository writing. Okay. Latin, posit, place in front of, right, X. So we're putting out, we're placing out interesting, useful, valuable information. Mm-hmm. In other words, we're, we're trying to teach or edify or illuminate. Okay. So it's a friendly audience, and I'm bringing more to help you do, do what you do, think what you think, believe what you believe better. So that's kind of one area. The other area would be kind of the more motivational or what we might call persuasive. Okay. And then persuasive kind of divides into two areas. One would be 
motivation to action, making a call to action. I don't need to convert you to this, but I do need to convert you to making it more important and doing something about it. Got it. The other one would be, and this is the hardest, of course, which is I want to change your opinion about something. Mm -hmm. That's by far the hardest thing. Mm -hmm. And so there's strategy when, when you go about this. So if you're working in expository, then you're looking at various logical ways to present the information. You know, most people realize that a good presentation has uh, a, a beginning that draws in the listener and an end that leaves the listener satisfied mm -hmm. or maybe even wanting more, perhaps. That's, that's one of the things I find useful in my speaking is if people feel like, oh, there's more then they'll want to come and talk to me or come to my next presentation or come buy something in our booth. You right. know? <laughs> um, so we would think of those as the introduction, conclusion. You could also break it down with some classical terms like the exordium, which is, hey, listen to me. Okay. <laughs> but rather than saying it that way, mm -hmm. you start with something that can grab the listener. Mm -hmm. I think we all appreciate that. It was funny, though. I was listening to just recently – an MIT professor okay. who was he, – he teaches artificial intelligence. He's passed on now, but he was one of the great, highly respected professors at MIT. And he was doing a talk on speaking and why, as an MIT student, even if you are you know, a science person, you need to be able to speak well. Nice. And so he was just doing this talk, and it's on YouTube. It had like a million views. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was funny because he said, you know, some people say you should start with a joke. I don't recommend that. And then everybody left. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a triple irony going yeah, yeah, on yeah. there. <laughs> but uh, you, if you start with something that draws people in, whether it can make them smile, mm -hmm. whether it makes them curious, mm -hmm. you tell a little bit of a story but don't finish it, you, you bring them, you create an image, you bring them into you your world, your life somehow, then there, then everything goes better mm -hmm. after that. So that exordium, basically why someone should listen to the rest of what you're going to say. Yep. Another classical technique that's included in the beginning is an enumeration. And that is a fancy way of saying state your topics. Yep. Like number enumeration. Yeah. Now, some people, and this is, it's always a, a little hard because there are people who have opinions that doing that explicitly mm -hmm. is very important. Mm -hmm. And there are other people who say, no, it's too formulaic and it's not good. So I guess, you know, it is kind of knowing your audience. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly, I think when we listen to someone, we are grateful for an enumeration, right? Yeah. If you're listening to a talk or you hear a sermon or a homily or something, and the guy says, now I'd like to explain to you three things about this. Mm -hmm. you, you feel comforted by that <laughs> because then you hear the first thing and you know you're approximately one-third through. And then you hear the second thing and you know you're approximately two-thirds through and you're going into the home stretch. And so there's that pacing of your attentiveness. Mm -hmm. Whereas if someone kind of just starts and goes from one thing to the next and the next and the next and the next, 
unless there's a set end time, you feel a little bit in limbo. Right. It also helps people if they are wanting to take notes. I've noticed this. Right. <laughs> you know, so I do a lot of talks. Sometimes people like notes. And, and if you tell them, I'm going to tell the seven things that I have learned about whatever, that, that is comforting to them because then they know where they are. It's a, a roadmap, so to speak. Right, exactly. Um, in writing, it's probably not as important to be explicit about that because someone can look and see, okay, how long is this article? Mm-hmm. Right? right, exactly. And so you wouldn't necessarily use the same terminology you know, to say, uh, you know, and so there are four things that we need to address here. No, you just say, you know, there's this and this and this and this and then move on. Mm-hmm. So in writing, I think your enumeration can, can and should be a little subtler. And, and in speaking, there are some advantages to making it clearer. Right. But that's my experience, my opinion. Mm-hmm. I appreciate enumeration. Mm-hmm. Not everybody does. Right. And uh, that's just something you got to if – you're, if you're going into competition, doing public speaking, you're going to find a wide variety – of opinions among your judges. Mm-hmm. And I have been judging a speech with two other people, spying on them, watching them rate the speakers, mm-hmm. and noticing that sometimes it's very, very different. Sure. I remember one time, the person sitting next to me put the one of the speakers in first place for that round. And I was so unimpressed, I put the speaker like way down at the bottom in mm-hmm. sixth or seventh. Mm-hmm. And I was just, I thought, wow, that's so interesting that we are very different. But it just shows, you know, that's the range of people and what they like, how things are done, preferences, right. all that. Anyway, so the arrangement, so the enumeration and, and that, that exposition where you're going to say, here's what's coming. So... Uh, something to grab the reader, something to uh, give them the roadmap as to what's coming. And then uh, then comes a differentiation point between expository and persuasive. Okay. In expository, you can basically say, I'm going to teach you all about this. And you have a thesis. For example, you know, I have a little thing on why students should use pen rather than pencil right. when doing English composition. We were literally having this discussion before we started the podcast. Oh, well, but you've heard me talk about this. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, I, I'm explaining this. I'm just teaching it. Right. I, I don't perceive that I'm trying to persuade anyone so terribly much. But Except I, that the name of the article is called Convert, convert to, to pen. pen. That sounds like you're trying to convert someone there, Andrew. Maybe so. But when I when I do it as part of a... A presentation, mm-hmm. I pretty much make the thesis clear in the front. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to persuade someone of something, you may not want to state that. You might want to ask the question, which is better for children to write with, mm-hmm. pen or pencil? Now, if you tell people your position and they are comfortable with that, you lose nothing. Right. But if you tell people your position and they immediately disagree. You lose an, you lose your audience. <laughs> yeah, either the, if it's written, they quit reading and throw it in the trash and say, what an idiot. Or if they, I mean, if they're listening to you and they flat out don't like it, they could just stand up and leave, although that's a little harder. 
though it's interesting how many people sit on the edges and in the in the back of a room in anticipation of wanting to escape before the entire hour so if you if you give away the position you may lose that person's attentiveness and even if they stay in the room they may just be going into their own mind mm-hmm. and starting to argue against you before you've given any argument other than just your opinion. So right. that's the strategic part. Okay. Now, some cases, uh, there are pros and cons, right? There's affirmatives, there's negatives, there's reasons for, there's reasons against. Mm-hmm. And you have to acknowledge the opposing view. So if you are very much in favor of something, but there are people who are not, well, you want to try and understand, okay, why are they not in favor? And then you would present some of that and then refute it. Uh, You have to acknowledge and refute the opposing view. So that's part of the arrangement process as well. So, uh, and there's many ways to work through this. There's, you know, least important, next most important, and very most important. Mm -hmm. There's compare and contrast and then call to action. What should you do with this information? Uh, There's pro, con, pro, or con, pro, pro, or Mm -hmm. pro, con, pro, con, pro, con. You know, there's so (laughs) many ways. So uh, that's part of what people get into Mm -hmm. when they start to study that idea of classical writing. Uh, And then you finish with some end that um, recapitulates. Mm -hmm. That's from the Latin capit, which means head. So you go back to the head. Mm -hmm. You don't decapitate your audience, but you recapitulate. Mm. Um, (laughs) This is better. (laughs) um, To remind them, Mm -hmm. okay, and this is why. Mm -hmm. Uh, Eat garlic, use pens, you know, don't text and drive, whatever. Mm -hmm. And probably... You want some type of amplification, some mm. what we in our basic writing with kids in the essay say, choose one thing mm-hmm. that's the most important and why is that the most important? So that when people walk out, they're not going to remember everything you said. Right. But if you're lucky, they'll remember one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that bears emphasis at the end uh, or making a, a, you know, a passionate call mm-hmm. to action. Uh, explaining why the world would be better mm-hmm. if we all do this or that or don't do this or that. When I used to teach, you know, in the primary grades, I would tell my students, now when your mom asks you what you learned in school today, tell her this. <laughs> and I have no idea if they actually told that, but I tried to be sure that there was always a point yeah. at the end of the day remember this most important thing. Well, you've seen me do that in teaching the little kids writing class. I make them stand up in the middle and say, now this is the most important thing. Yes, yes. And if you forget everything else, and I name all the things they'll probably forget. Yes. uh, Don't forget this. Yes. And it is, of course. Jumping up and down. Yeah, jump 50 times. Yes, right. (laughs) Before you ever start writing anything. Exactly. (laughs) Get those wiggles out. (laughs) So there we are with uh, some basic ideas on arrangement. And, of course, there's so much more. There's there's big, thick 300-page books that have been written about writing speeches and papers and, and classical rhetoric. And there's, mm-hmm. you know, some some very good ones mm-hmm. out there. But I guess the purpose of this podcast would be to inspire people to pursue this yes. if, they, if it interests them. Yes. Okay, so after arrangement, 
I've got my ideas. They are arranged, and now I need to elocute them. Figure out how to say what yes. you want to say. And um, is elocute a verb? <laughs> um, I think it elocution. It should be. You know. <laughs> okay. But uh, again, it's from the Latin locor, meaning to speak, to speak out. Eh, eh, locor. Okay. And so, how are we speaking? And there are so many good examples of how we can connect with different audiences. You worked for a while teaching young children. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an interesting experience. Every time I go out on the road, I usually teach three classes, mm-hmm. sometimes even four in mm-hmm. a day. But in a normal day, I'll teach you know grade three to five group, little kids, nine mm-hmm. years old. I'll teach middle school. Mm-hmm. I'll teach high school. And then sometimes I'll go speak to adults in the evening. And... What's interesting is I sometimes say the same thing four times, Mm -hmm. but I use different words to meet the audience. Mm -hmm. I use different examples to illustrate because it connects with their level of experience and imagination. And uh, so I think we've all had a time when we felt, wow, this person is kind of just talking over me. Mm -hmm. I don't understand some of the words they're using. I don't feel like they are trying to teach me well. Right. And then other times we we listen to someone and think, wow, they're talking down. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of annoying. It's kind of irritating. It's really not easy to be able to adjust yourself for different audiences. Now, students, they have the challenge of uh, usually having to uh, speak to peers, speak to parents and that varies greatly depending on what they want (laughs) right (laughs) right exactly speak to other adults Mm -hmm. in an informal situation Mm -hmm. and then speaking to adults and peers in a formal situation and i think it's you know kind of sad but that formal situation training is not happening for a lot of people right and so they end up bringing their way of talking with peers into mm-hmm. an adult or professional world, and it just doesn't go over well. It's true. We, we've had a few experiences yes, like that. Yes, we have here at IEW where we hire high school students, and some of them just shine. We love them. Yes, we do, and we'd like to keep them and are sad when they go off to college. And others, of course, we are... Happy that they've had this experience at IEW, and we wish them well. Yeah, you know, you know, <laughs> so they weren't as and elegant. it's just it's just that part of growing up. Sure. So that's why you know I think that when we teach students in a way that develops their active vocabulary, because part of it is the words you use. Mm-hmm. It's true. Everything from "Hey, dude," <laughs> to "I appreciate being here, Mr. Pudwal." So vocabulary, that's key. Then. You know, one of the things we have talked about a lot in our, you know, style conversations is just variety in sentence structures. Right. Uh, If someone is kind of narrow and has the same grammatical pattern every sentence Mm -hmm. and they write it that way and they memorize it that way and it can be a little bit tedious, Mm -hmm. whereas the better examples of writing and rhetoric use the wider range of sentence patterns. Even something so simple as alternating long sentences with an occasional very short sentence. Exactly, yep. And then you move into that world of devices. Mm -hmm. 
and we call them decorations in our writing program, things like, you know, alliteration, simile, metaphor, three short staccato sentences. And then, of course, you can move into a whole world of rhetorical devices. Mm -hmm. They're usually divided into schemes and tropes. Okay. Scheme is a word that we all kind of know, especially when we're teenagers, we scheme. Okay. No, but what does scheme mean? It means have a plan. Mm -hmm. And in in rhetoric, a scheme would be a pattern. Okay. And it appeals to the senses. Okay. Right. So using repetition, that's a scheme. Right. Uh, Martin Luther King, I have a dream. Right. And he used that very intentionally seven times mm-hmm. to introduce, you know, the next section of the speech. You might say, well, that's repetitive, but no, it's very effective, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's called uh, anaphora mm-hmm. when you repeat the same word or words, mm-hmm. phrases or clauses mm-hmm. many times. Mm-hmm. When you do something at the end, right, then that's epistrophe. And uh, so it's, it gives this rhythmic, this rhymic feeling okay. to your speaking. So those the schemes are those things which appeal to the senses. In other words, they sound nice. Okay, right. Parallel constructions. Mm-hmm. They sound very nice to us. He came, They're he orderly. saw, he conquered that. Would, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my f- absolute favorite writers and speakers is Winston Churchill. Okay, great. It was said of Churchill uh, that he harnessed the English language and drove it into battle. It's true. And uh, there are some truly excellent movies uh, portraying Churchill's use Mm -hmm. of the English language. But his example of parallelism is my favorite all time, uh, if I get it right. He said, the inherent vice of capitalism is the unequal sharing of blessings. The inherent virtue of socialism is the equal sharing of miseries. Oh, interesting. Yep. Now, you know, there's a truth embedded mm-hmm. in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a double-edged kind of thing. But the way it was phrased with the inherent, inherent vice, mm-hmm. virtue, capitalism, socialism, mm-hmm. uh, sharing, sharing, blessings, miseries. Mm-hmm. It's, it's memorable. Mm-hmm. It's effective. Mm-hmm. You could say it in a simpler, less elegant way, but it wouldn't be anywhere near as powerful. Right. So we look for examples of that, and and uh, there are some really good books that uh, are available on what is often called figures of speech. Okay. Schemes. Then tropes are those things which appeal to the imagination. So uh, the mother of all tropes, metaphor. Okay. And her little sister, simile. Simile. Yes. Uh, and then we have personification. We have uh, there's. Um, one called apostrophe, where you start talking to oh. something that isn't there. Yes. And, and, of course, some of the great examples of rhetoric um, incorporate m- many of these things. Mm-hmm. In fact, one year I taught a course in rhetoric that used uh, Shakespeare's uh, speech by Mark Antony in the play Julius Caesar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we evaluated that speech in terms of all of its... Well, its structure, its um, purpose, its persuasive effectiveness, mm-hmm. and 
the schemes and tropes that were so I mean and he starts with friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Right there, you've got two things in the very first line. Mm-hmm. So so it's good, you know, for students to be able to study those things. Mm-hmm. And then as you see how other people do it, you can say, Oh, I can do something like that. Again, right. learning through imitation. Yep. Love that. So uh, that's kind of on the elocution side, vocabulary, sentence pattern, devices. Mm -hmm. And then we move into memory. Memory. Memorizing the speech that you've now written. Yes. Now, well, memory is a skill that is not well developed by modern people. Mm -hmm. It is, in fact, increasingly less developed Mm. as technology increases. Sure. We all, for example, don't memorize phone numbers anymore. I was just thinking about that. I know my husband's, and I, of course, know mine. Yeah. But I don't even know my kids' phone numbers anymore. Why would you? I don't need to. You have no need for it. No. Uh, this, This use of technology to give us quick and ready access to Mm -hmm. information is a double-edged sword. Right. So there's this fable uh, Plato tells about some ancient king of Egypt Mm -hmm. and the god Thoth, or Thoth, I'm not sure how Mm -hmm. it's pronounced, Mm -hmm. but it's usually spelled T-O-T-H. Okay. T-H-O-T-H. Anyway, he says to this king, I will give you the gift of writing. And your people will be able to record information in writing. Right. And the king says, well, you know, of course, we'll take your gift because it's, you know, from a god. <laughs> right. But it will have the effect of decreasing their memory. Mm. Wow. So just the technology of writing, mm-hmm. whereas before that, the mm-hmm. only way that anything could last through time mm-hmm. was in the memory. Right, right. So... Uh, it's definitely something to look at how do we cultivate the memory. Mm-hmm. And what we do know about music and language is the more you have memorized, the more easily you can memorize more. Exactly. Yep. Uh, some people have memorized scripture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the first you start into this and the first, you know, chunk of it. It really seems hard, mm-hmm. but if you keep at it, keep at it, keep at it, then it comes much more readily, mm-hmm. and you maintain that memorized repertoire. This is true with poetry, certainly true with music. Mm-hmm. The more music you have memorized and can maintain, the faster you memorize new music. Well, that's really inspiring to keep going. Yeah. if I mean, it requires discipline. It, it's going to require probably someone to coach you and inspire you. And then there's – so that's one aspect. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the people who studied rhetoric would memorize huge chunks of other people's famous speeches, not just to furnish their mind, as we talked about, but right. also to cultivate that memory. Now, there are also some technical ways. Uh, one of them is the method of loci or lo- loci or loci, depending how you pronounce your Latin. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was – affixing things in your imagination to places. Okay. Right? Uh, So it could be, say, for example, a room. And you Mm -hmm. imagine a room, and then you have maybe, let's say you have 12 paragraphs that make up your 10-minute speech. Okay. Or 12 little mini sections. 
and you put one section in each place in this room in your imagination. Then when you want to give the speech and not miss something, you just walk around the room and pick up your sections. So rather than memorizing one big 10-minute speech, you're memorizing, you know, 12 one-minute or less mm -hmm. segments. So you chunk it, you attach it to a location visually, and then you can recall this more easily. That's really interesting. So it's, it is important when you arrange it in your room to probably do it. Yeah. And if you don't like your room, you can use a garden. Oh, okay. You could use a path you know. Mm -hmm. um, there's uh, the idea of the memory palace mm. where you have like a house and you could have several rooms. I mean, if you're trying to memorize something really very long, mm -hmm. uh, you could have one chunk of it in one room and go pick up those pieces and go through it and then walk to the next room and go through it. And this works for everything from shopping lists to the presidents. Mm -hmm. I've seen examples of people memorizing all the presidents with this method of loci. And, and so you get an image that connects the word or the idea or the thing or the paragraph or whatever with something in that space. Mm -hmm. And there are whole books on this subject. Mm -hmm. um, well, and let me just ask you a question. You, of course, give speeches or talks. We call them talks, talks so they sound yeah. a little bit less, you know, invasive. But you give speeches, and you're not using notes. You give the same talk, and you use a lot of the exact same phrases every time I've heard you, for example, do the Nurturing Competent Communicators talk or the Four Deadly Errors of teaching writing talk, you know, have you used that, this particular strategy that you're talking about mm, right I use now? a little different method, and mm -hmm. I have the luxury of being able to do the same talk, mm -hmm. you know, a dozen times a year sure. and for year after year. Yes. So um, what I usually do is I outline the talk mm -hmm. and give it once, and then I rewrite the outline with fewer words mm -hmm. and give it again, and then rewrite the outline with fewer words and give it again. So the Four Deadly Errors talk, for example, started with a lot of stuff on that page. I right. mean, it was an outline and I had it handy. And it ended after maybe the first year mm -hmm. with a card with four words on it. Uh, nice. And so that way, and then I got rid of the card. And then one time I, I just totally blanked out. I'm like, I can't remember the third deadly error. <laughs> and then someone sitting in the front row shouted it out because, oh. you know, she'd heard the talk before. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that was embarrassing. <laughs> uh, but that that has worked for me is to uh, rewrite the outline using fewer words every time that I do it. Mm -hmm. But I'm not trying to memorize speeches the way kids might if they were going into competition. Mm -hmm. That's a little bit different mm -hmm. type of thing. Okay, so the mind palace, this idea, this would be one of the, the tips that you talked about last time that I was looking forward to you talking more about strategies for memorization. So do you have any more ideas? Well, there are, there are whole books on this subject, mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. um, there's a book called The Art of Memory, okay, uh, which is essentially a big, thick book with all the information on how people have developed mm -hmm. incredible memory ability over thousands of years. I see. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, so and those are the two that I think are easiest to impact. There's also a book called Memorize Your Faith. Uh, it's written by a Catholic author, mm -hmm. and it teaches very explicitly 
this idea of the memory palace mm-hmm. in terms of memorize the Ten Commandments. And they're in a room, and there's a symbol or an image that goes with each of those. Mm-hmm. And once you get it in your mind, mm-hmm. the picture, right. it's really easy to go and find those things, mm-hmm. which for most people is going to be easier than trying to you know, memorize the words in sequence, which you just do through, you know, straight repetition. Right, right. I remember memorizing music. I would often use colors in my mind. So there's the first part that would be like green, and then there'd be the next part that would be a different color. And then sometimes there's repetitive parts. Mm-hmm. And so that, that part, you don't have to memorize. It's just that green thing again. Mm-hmm. And then it goes to a, not the blue, but to a red thing. And so you can, you can also enhance your auditory memory with visual reinforcements. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's something to study or not, because <laughs> you can always just ask your phone. Well, and I... <laughs> Siri, who was the third president of the United States? Siri, recite ooey gooey. See, <laughs> we, well, we would be remiss... To not talk about the linguistic development through poetry memorization. Exactly. Yeah. But we've you. talked about that a lot before, and we're running out of time. We are, but... Basically, the strategy there is just a little bit every day Mm -hmm. with the new, not forgetting the old, and you just do them all every day until you've mastered all 20, and then you move on to... Level two, and then you recite level one every other poem every other day while you learn level two, and then once you got that, level two goes to every other poem every day, level one goes to every third poem every third day. Once you got level three, you're running out of time. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay, so our last of the five canons is delivery. And last time you talked about, you know, as you were touching over broad brush, you were saying delivery could be a verbal presentation or it could be a visual representation. Right. The verbal would be those kinds of things you pick up from public speaking. Mm -hmm. This is where I think kids having an opportunity to do drama, Mm -hmm. to be in plays, Mm -hmm. is tremendously helpful because it causes them to not have to think about what to say. They've memorized the lines, but really attend to how am I saying this? Where am I directing my my face, my mm-hmm. voice? How am I using my hands? Mm-hmm. What angle am I standing at on the stage? Can people hear me? And a good drama coach really works on that. That's why, you know, I've heard someone say, you know, drama is the capstone of rhetoric. Mm. Meaning you can do everything right, but if your delivery is bad, right, the thing can completely flop. Uh, and so, you know, that's why, you know, when we were homeschooling, one of the things we made a priority for was the kids having a chance to be in plays, musical theater, yep. do drama. And uh, I love drama as a kid, and I think that really planted kind of a, an aptitude mm-hmm. of comfort, if you will standing in front of audience. I remember the first time I had to actually stand in front of an audience as a professional and do a speech to them. And yes, I was nervous. Mm -hmm. But I was, I think, less nervous Mm. than I would have been if I hadn't had that experience, you know, in my middle school years, which is where it's most formative, I think. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing to do. And then speech contests and competitions and having a coach, right. having having just the pointers and someone to remind you, mm-hmm. 
don't do that with your hands while you're speaking. You know? <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and you know, you go into a competition, and the judges often give very helpful comments. Mm-hmm. At least I, I always have tried to. And kids generally appreciate those because, mm-hmm. yeah, they want to improve. Mm-hmm. And you can start with kind of choreographed gestures. Mm-hmm. When I say this. I'm going to do this mm-hmm. with this hand in this way. And you plan it and practice it. Then after some of that, you become more natural and you don't have to plan quite so hard. Nope. But that's why drama is such a good... And then, of course, we talked uh, about design mm-hmm. and uh, the value. I think you know, if someone said, you know, I'd like to work for you, and I took a class in graphic design... Mm-hmm. That would just be a plus right there. Well, we'd have to look at their work, though, first. Right. But having any training at all, sure. having any kind of knowledge and bringing that into a job. Yeah, absolutely. You, even just, you know how some people, they write emails and they just, mm-hmm. just bunch it all together. <laughs> and it's not easy mm-hmm. to see or read or use. Other people write emails, and they separate ideas with space. Mm -hmm. Even something so seemingly insignificant as that Mm -hmm. can make a lot of difference on how someone responds and how helpful Mm -hmm. you are to them. You know, and then, of course, you get into anyone who wants to start any kind of business now needs to be able to get a website. And if you're bootstrapping the thing... You're not going to pay right. a lot of money. You've got to do it yourself. You want to go work for a nonprofit. You want to go volunteer and help a campaign. There's mm-hmm. also, you know, doing a newsletter. Mm-hmm. Well, exactly. So, yep. well, there five canons of rhetoric all delivered in two weeks. And I was going to mention something that I thought our listeners would appreciate. This, of course, is a podcast and you're only hearing this. But if you were in our studio and if we ever got a camera in here, during the when Andrew was talking about delivery, his hands were definitely moving. And <laughs> as yours ever, are right now. <laughs> as mine are right now, yes. So I think practicing, and I have seen, you know, your, and my son, who is a musician, has commented before that when he sees you talk, he's noticing that you're using violin positions with your hands sometimes. (laughs) So I wonder where that came from. Entirely subconscious. I'm sure it is. Well, this has been a delight. I think this has really helped take what seemingly is a difficult, overwhelming, obscure word type of topic and just saying, yeah, it's just this, you know, elocution. It's just this memory all of that. So thank you, Andrew, for making something that could be really complex, bringing it down to Earth. Well, like you it's do still something. complex, but at least now you know what it is now like. Now we know what yeah. it's like. Yes. So thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Pudua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.